Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the promises of your word and the truth of it that we can be here today knowing that you are good to us and you are not quick-tempered, God. We're not going to sin and then you smack us. We're not going to wrong you and you do away with us. No, God, you are rich in love and, 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 and gracious to us. And we are thankful, God, that we now have found that in Jesus. And we thank you so much for your son, Christ, and, and our redemption that is in him. God, we thank you that songs can uh, help us understand that so much, like that song did. But God, now we come to the word, Mark chapter 2, and we ask your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, um, you can use the Pew Bible, the Black Pew Bible there in front of you, page 920. Page 920, Mark chapter 2. And for all the children out there, now's the time where you get out your listening page. We have front and back, and one side is kind of geared more toward younger kids, and the other side is kind of geared more toward older kids, but I want you to be good listeners it is totally possible to come to church and be in church and not listen and not get anything out of it. We need to learn to be good listeners, and so we want to help with that. And so you children do this, and if the kids have filled it out, then bring it to us at the end. Uh, bring it to Miss Becky McBroom, and she will reward you with a treat. Now, I have asked her to be r really strict about this. Don't put your name on it and color a few things and act like you filled it out. Listen and pay attention and fill it out and... Put some check marks on there and do whatever it's asking you to do, and then you will get rewarded for that good listening. That's what we want, okay? Mark chapter 2, we're going to move now into a passage, verses 13 through 17. And in your bulletin, I've got Jesus hangs out with sinners. This is a passage that in so many ways will immediately start to expand your understanding of Jesus. I know you know a lot about Jesus already. I know you know that he is God's son, and I know you know that he died on the cross for sins. But one of the great things about us just walking through the Gospel of Mark is that you can learn and understand so much about him. And here you will see how holiness in a body, Jesus again is God in the flesh. He is God Almighty. Jesus is the creator of the world. And yet we in this passage see him hanging out with sinners, and it puzzles all of the other religious people. They don't get it which lets you and I know that religious people are often missing the point about religion. And today we want to understand that so well through Jesus. When I was a sophomore in high school, uh, I, like everybody else, was trying to find myself and my identity and uh, figure out who I was. And I was very thankful that I had a couple juniors and seniors on the basketball team that kind of took me in and hung out with me, and uh, I got to spend a lot of time as a sophomore who didn't even have his driver's license yet, hanging out with a lot of the older people who were juniors and seniors, and I remember it many times thinking to myself, I don't even know why these guys like to hang out with me, or why do they even let me follow them, or why am I even included? I remember thinking that a lot. But then I became a senior, and it turns out that one of my, my very best friends in high school when I was a senior was a freshman. So I was 17, 18, and he was 14, 15. And I hung out with this freshman all the time. And I remember people asking me all the time, why, why do you hang out so much with a freshman, right? And sometimes in life it is that way. We have 
relationships. Perhaps it's a, a mentoring where you think, I don't even deserve to have this guy helping me. Perhaps it's somebody who's just loving you and assisting you in life or always having their, their arm around your shoulder or always having their eye upon you to help you out. And you think, I don't, I don't deserve for you to be this good to me. I remember when I was in seminary and started dating Val, all of my friends kept saying to me, I don't see why she dates you. And I still, after nearly 11 years of marriage, think, I don't know why Val likes me or stays with me or anything like that. I feel very gracious for that. But it is... It is possible to have some relationships in life where you're totally like, I don't get it, but I'm thankful for it. And our passage today shows us that God is this way. Undoubtedly, yes, God is better than us. No question, he is bigger than us. He could crush us right now. He could crush the whole universe right now. But instead... He is rich in love, slow to anger. He cares about us. He loves us and wants and works to have relationship with us. We sing an old hymn that's called Jesus, Friend of Sinners. He calls us his friends. Not because we are so worthy, but rather because he is so great. And this passage today is very clear about this. Read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 2, beginning of verse 13, down to verse 17. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. What a great passage here. I want to give you three points. The first is, Jesus' calling is unconditional. Jesus' calling is unconditional. Number two, Jesus' company is sinful. Jesus' company is sinful. And number three, Jesus' concern is for the sick and the sinful. Jesus' concern is for the sick and the sinful. If you will, Jesus' is calling, Jesus' is company, by that I mean who he's hanging out with, and Jesus' concern, why he came, who he's looking for, who he's working in. Let's begin here at verse 13. Mark does what he's done so many times already in just a chapter and a half. says that he went out again and began beside the sea 
And all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. Mark is wanting you and I to know that Jesus came as a teacher. Jesus came knowing that if he's going to be a savior and if he's going to be a life changer and if Jesus is going to do what he came to do, in other words, make people fit for heaven, make people ready to go to heaven, make people desiring of heaven, make people who love the God and Savior of heaven, if Jesus is going to do that, he's going to do it through his preaching and teaching ministry. Jesus did not come to just influence people to love God. Jesus came to proclaim a message that calls people out to follow God and therefore love God. And Mark is telling us this over and over again. Jesus went here and he was teaching. Jesus went here and he was teaching. The big crowd gathered and he was teaching. He's already said it several times. The crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. If you want to know something about Jesus, know this. He was a teacher. He came teaching. I want to remind you again from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus came preaching salvation for people. And so Mark reminds us that over and over again. Mark, the gospel writer here, wants us to think about Jesus and how he lived and how he treated people and how he made an impact in the world and the way he influenced people's lives, the way he cared for the sick, the way he healed people. And Jesus and everything that he did was preaching the gospel. He was a Bible preacher. He was a truth preacher. He preached salvation for the forgiveness of sins through the repentance of sins and believing in Jesus. Mark wants us to understand that. Well, as he's doing that, He's always on the go, and Mark shows us that. And so verse 14 says, And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Now, many of you may not be familiar with Levi. He is one of the twelve apostles. But when you start reading in the list of the twelve apostles, you don't see Levi. That's because Levi, you need to learn this, Levi is the same person as Matthew. Levi is the same person as Matthew. Often in the Bible, people have uh, multiple names, and especially when Christ has called somebody to follow him, he would often change their name, right? Many of you have heard of, of John Mark, and many of you have heard of Simon Peter, who was also called Cephas, so he had three names, right? Some people called him Simon, some people called him Peter, some people called him Simon Peter, some people called him Cephas, right? Many of you are familiar with Saul, who God saved him and changed his name to Paul, and now many of you are familiar with Levi, who also was called Matthew. You don't have to turn there necessarily, but all of the synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell this same story about Jesus calling Matthew, calling Levi. And in Matthew chapter 9, Matthew, okay, the guy we're talking about, tells the story. He tells the exact same story, almost word for word. And he says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And then he goes on and finishes the same story. So Matthew writing calls it Matthew. But it's also called Levi. And in Luke's gospel, he says, Levi. So I want you to see here that we're talking about one of the 12 apostles. We are talking about Levi, who you know better as Matthew. 
J.C. Ryle says that from a publican or a tax collector, he became an apostle and a writer of the first book of the New Testament, right? If anybody in here was asked, do you know any books of the New Testament, you probably would have said, well, I at least know Matthew, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first four. This is who we're talking about. And J.C. Ryle points out that this man, who used to be a sinful tax collector on the road, is now known all over the world as the author of the very first book of the New Testament. That shows us the gracious, unconditional choosing and calling that we have in Jesus. Now, we've already seen him call uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the first four uh, disciples that we're familiar with him calling, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And you remember that those, those, those four were fishermen. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen. And you remember the passage that they were, they were out there fishing and Jesus comes by and he sees them and he says, come follow me. And it says they left their nets, they left their father, and they went and they followed him. So we're familiar with that. But nothing about that story in and of itself tells us that they were sinners. Unless you know some fishermen and you can conclude that all fishermen are sinners. But I don't know. But here Mark is showing us that Jesus' calling of Matthew means Jesus calls people who are recognized as sinful people. We're not to think of this tax collector, somebody who works down here at H&R Black, H&R Block, that will do your taxes for you. We're not to look at this as somebody who's just a, a, a money person who knows how to do that. We are to see, as the scriptures would tell us over and over again in the New Testament, that these tax collectors were known as the ones who were crooked, if you will. They were the ones who were often working the system to get more money from people because they would give more money to the people that led the Roman government and, 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 and then they would be approved and then they would get more money. It was, it was a crooked system. We are to think of Matthew as a, sinfer, as, as a sinful person who in his job, in his career, took advantage of people. What was a sinner at that? You might remember the story of Zacchaeus. Do you remember him? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. That Zacchaeus, he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. The little guy, Zacchaeus, he also was a tax collector. You remember that? And after Jesus called him and also went to his house, see, to, he, Jesus is about to go to Matthew's house. But Jesus also went to sinful Zacchaeus' house, and one of the things that Zacchaeus says in his repentance is, Lord, I will repay everybody who I have taken money from. Do you remember that? It lets us know that him being a tax collector also shows us that he was a sinner. His job, by the very nature of it, was crooked and twisted. They took advantage of the people to boost the government or the ruler, if you will. King Herod benefited from these tax collectors. And so they were known as being the ones who were sinful. They were known for that. You may also remember the great parable in the Gospel of Luke that is known as the Pharisee and the tax collector. You remember that one? And what Jesus is doing in that parable is pointing out what you would envision as two people who have two totally different reputations. The Pharisee known as the guy who's always trying to obey God and the tax collector known as the guy who don't give a rip about obeying God. He never thinks about it. And the Pharisee is always trying to obey God, but in his prayer you see that he's self-righteous and not knowing his need of forgiveness. Yet the tax collector is ashamed of his sins, and the Bible says he couldn't even lift his head up to heaven. Instead, he beat his chest and he cried out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
And in that passage too, the Bible is wanting us to see that tax collectors are straight up sinful people. Everybody knows that. They are crooked. And yet the Pharisees don't know that they're sinful. So when Mark introduces Matthew, unlike he did for Peter, Andrew, James, and John, he is pointing out that some of the people who are in the 12, in the inner group, in the disciples of Jesus, some of them are outright sinful people that you know of. And I'm so thankful that Mark does this. I want you to know here today that if Jesus saves anybody, it is not because of anything in them. There are no prerequisites to coming to Christ. You don't have to fill out paperwork. You don't have to have graduated college. You don't have to make enough money. You don't have to have a mom and a dad. You don't have to have anything. You don't have to have gotten your life together. You don't have to have grown up. You don't have to have found yourself. You don't have to have never made any of the big mistakes, any of that. If you are breathing and you have sinned against God, you are fit to be His. He loves people like that. In Luke's passage on this very story... He adds in there that Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I'm not looking for you to find out how to obey me. I'm looking for you to know that you need me. In the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is my favorite uh, kids' Bible to read with our kids, on the passage where he calls out the disciples, it points out that he's calling guys that most people wouldn't have chosen to be his 12 best guys. And it asks, well, what do you think you have to do to be a follower of Jesus? And then it says, you don't have to be the tallest or the cutest or the smartest or the most educated or anything like that. And then it says, you just have to need him a lot. You just have to need him a lot. And we see here in this passage that Jesus, when he's walking and preaching and teaching, and there are crowds everywhere, we can rest assured that, that Jesus has encountered many, many people, thousands if you will. And he only calls 12 to be his apostles. And in doing that, he was not looking for the cream of the crop. He absolutely doesn't go against that. He absolutely says, I choose who I want to choose. I will do my work in them. I want you to hear today that Jesus is calling you to salvation is unconditional. It's not based on whether you were raised in church or not. It is totally possible that this is your first time in church and God is ready to do a great work in your life. It is totally possible that when Jake said you must have been hiding under a rock that you're thinking, I've never heard of EBS before. It's possible. And yet, you could be a child of God today if you would believe in Him and turn from your sins. There is no getting ourselves together. In that passage that Austin just read in Titus chapter 3, 
where he gives the big explanation in Titus of how we were saved, the great statement in there is not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. How did you get here? How did you get this way? Why are you now following Jesus? Why did you leave the tax booth, uh, Levi Matthew? Why did you do that? The mercy of God. The mercy of God. We need to understand that Jesus' calling is unconditional. Indeed, some of the followers of Jesus are some of the least expected, worst people you've ever met. One of the things that I think is so fascinating is prison ministry. I don't know if you've ever been to prison ministry or heard about prison ministry, but prison ministry is a really big deal. It is a ministry that goes into prisons for people who have rightly done something wrong and rightly deserve to be in prison. And you go in there and you do ministry with them. And you preach the gospel and you do just what I'm doing right now. You preach them about Jesus. And you know what, y'all? God works there and people get saved in the ministry. People go from being sinners against God to children of God forgiven of their sins. And it happens. And, and what I love about it is that many of them are not trying to use it as a ticket to get out of prison. I have heard many prisoners, rightly in jail, say, I shouldn't get out. I need to stay in here. I need to serve my time. I need to do the punishment that I deserve. But you know what? I'm right with God now. I am at peace with God now, and God has worked in me. And I love that. I have heard testimonies of people going to the, to the, to the um, capital punishment, people being killed who are saved in Christ, saying, I deserve this. And I tell you that story, those stories to point out that you don't have to get yourself together in order to be right with God. That is not the message of Christianity. And so often, just socially and in the neighborhood and, and around town, you hear people saying that way. If you've got a friend that's really, really messed up and, 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 and strung out or struggling or, or really living the wildlife, you almost think, man, nah, you don't want to invite them to church. Not, not, not for them. Y'all, you misunderstand Jesus when you act that way, think that way, or treat people that way. And when you've got a friend who knows how to tuck his shirt in and say yes, sir, and all that, and pay his bills on time, and you just automatically assume that they're a Christian, you misunderstand Jesus. Just because somebody had a good mom or dad and they had to know how to keep a job and arrive on time and be dependable and stuff like that and say please and thank you does not at all mean that they know God. The sign of somebody that knows Jesus is that Jesus has been merciful to them and now they know how much they need him and they are thankful for the forgiveness of sins. That is the sign of a real Christian. People who do well and do good are all over the place. That should be Christians who are doing that. But that is not enough for us to, to be able to carve out, is that a Christian person? There are many, 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 many great people in the world that do not love Jesus. I mean great people. In all the religions of the world, there are fantastic people. I have some friends who are Muslims that are some of the best people I've ever met. I've got some friends who are atheists who are some of the best people that I've ever met. Being a good person, getting it together, doing the right thing is not what qualifies you to be a child of God. You don't have to do that. You have to know that you have sinned against God. And in knowing that you've sinned against God, you have to hear his call to repent of your sins and be forgiven. Jesus' calling is an unconditional calling. Matthew went to work that day hoping to make another dollar. 
Matthew went to work that day hoping to benefit off of some people's money, to twist it, to take advantage of them, and to bulk his income. You might say that the rich wanted to get richer from the poorer in Matthew's case, but Jesus saw him, and in Jesus seeing him, his life changed because Jesus said, come. And you better believe that when God, in the power of the Spirit, extends his grace to you, you will come. There's a hymn that we sing called, And Can It Be? It says this very clearly. It says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Thee. And so it is for every person who has ever truly come to Christ, like Matthew. This sinner heard the call of Jesus, and I came. Not because I'm a good person, but because I need to be forgiven. And so it is the case that he, it is an unconditional thing. It's never conditional with Jesus. If you wanted to say that it was even conditional, you want to use those terms, it is conditional on if you will repent of your sins. It is conditional on if you will repent of your sins. But Jesus calling you out and you responding to his call is unconditional. Number two, his company is sinful. Look at verse 15. As he reclined at table in his house. So here's what's happened. Neat setting. Jesus sees Matthew Levi and calls him out. And they go and they end up now at Matthew's house. Now here it just says his house. You might be thinking, is that Jesus' house, Matthew's house? But in Luke it tells us that this is indeed Matthew's house. So as he reclined at table in his house, isn't this fascinating? Now I don't know how many times you've been in other people's homes. But when you get to go inside of somebody else's home, it really shows you that we've dropped our guard, right? It really shows you, you're about to see. You're about to see what my bathroom's like, whether it's clean or not. You're about to see how many toys we got left out. You're about to see whether I, you know, threw my clothes away or put them in dirty clothes. You're about to see if we're caught up on dishes or not. You get inside the house, you're about to see what we're really like, right? Jesus is now in Matthew's house. This rich guy who's known for being deceitful with people. Jesus is in his house. And Mark just doesn't, Mark surprises him. It's like that. Jesus sees him and comes and follows him. Okay, now he's in his house. Isn't that awesome? Listen, there may be a lot of people who think they're too good to go in your dirty house. Jesus would come into your house. I want you to hear that. There may be a lot of people who think they'd feel too uncomfortable being in your messed up house. Jesus would come into your house. Verse 15 says, as he reclined at table in his house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus. I love this verse. Jesus is hanging out. It says reclining. Every time you look that up, it says that they kind of reclined to eat. I can't picture it, but it says that's what they did. Hanging out with sinners. The Bible says that. Now, you might be wondering, why does it differentiate between a tax collector and a sinner? Because a tax collector may have, been, uh, may have been a Jewish person who still had his ear and his mind on something of the teaching of God. 
But when the Bible says sinners here, it's referring to those people who outright said, I don't believe the Bible. My life is openly against the Bible. We know lots of people like that. There are many people today who say, I don't, I don't care what God says. God is wrong. Many people today will say, well, you, you might think that that's right, but, but I don't. This, this is wrong. I don't live my life according to this. This is old. I have people tell me all the time, yeah, but, but, but it's changed. I mean, this is 2016. I mean, there's no way something written 2,000 years ago still applies today. So, so God must be wrong, or, or God was right a long time ago, but he's, he's not right anymore. I hear people say this all the time. They say it to me regularly. These, these tax collectors and sinners are people who do not love God. People who do not turn from their sins. People who are not. People, in many ways, if you will, who are living lives that are against God. Against God. People who, who in many ways, if you will, would, would make you feel uncomfortable. I don't know if you've ever been out to eat with a lot of people or, or ever been in a restaurant with a bunch of people who, um, who don't love God. But sometimes it can get a little bit out of hand, right? You've probably been in that setting before. Maybe some foul words. Maybe too many drinks. Maybe a little bit too much flirting, right? It can get like that. You can get uncomfortable. Jesus is right there in the midst of it. Now, it doesn't tell us that they were doing sinful things. I don't want to read too much into it. But it tells us that they were sinners, and Jesus is there reclining, hanging out with them, if you will. His company was sinful, and make no mistake about it. It says there were many who followed him. Verse 16 the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So Mark tells us that he does it, but then people are asking, why? And it is an embarrassing question if you know God. It's an embarrassing question. Can you imagine somebody saying, Josh, why, why are you friends with him? That's an embarrassing question. We are to love our neighbor. We are to love our enemies. We are to treat people the way we want to be treated. We are to let our light so shine that they may see our Father in heaven. We are to always live as a model of good works. We are to live ourselves in such a way that they might see the hope that is in us. Asking them why Jesus is with sinners makes absolutely crystal clear they don't understand that Jesus came to save sinners. Do you see that? They don't get it. And I want to remind you here today, church, and it's an awesome time period we're living in because our culture today, regardless of what you think of it, has absolutely blown up and exposed the foolishness and the hypocrisy and the legalism and the Pharisees of church in most parts of the country, right? Let's be honest about that. Most churches today are a pathetic example of God, and they're not representing God. And that's why one after another after another after another is dying and closing and dying and closing and dying and closing. Because they're standing over here looking at all the sinners in their neighborhood going, you better not be eating and sitting down with sinners and tax collectors. Oh, you better not. And you're not welcome in here either. And they act like that. And they can act like that in their community and take their dead church to the grave with them, but they do not represent our Lord Jesus. 
He is here. He is comfortable. He is in charge. He's not dirty. He's not awkward. He's not stumbling over them. He's not tripping over them. He's not getting caught off guard. He's not walking out of their sinful. He's not, he's not falling back into sin. He's not backsliding. He is the king of the universe who in just a few chapters will be nailed to a cross for these people. And you know how he's able to change their lives? Because they know him. They know what he was like. And when he lays his life down for them, they look at it as a sacrifice for their sins. They look at it as the savior of the world. Jesus' company is a group of sinful people. And when they ask this question, they are showing that they don't understand it. Now, Mark wants us to understand it. And if you were here last week and the week before, and if you continue to be here, if you are listening to the Gospel of Mark, and if our kids are doing these listening pages, then they ought to know why Jesus came. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus was happy. He was not distracted. He was not upset. He was not frustrated by a crippled man coming through the roof. Jesus was happy because he forgave him of his sins. But take it a step further. Look at verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus is here. Jesus is there so that everybody would know he has authority to forgive people of their sins. So we should be living in such a way that we welcome people admitting their sins, confessing their sins. We should not be living in such a way that people are uncomfortable to admit that they're sinners. They're trying to hide their sins. It's so hilarious when you walk up and somebody tries to hide their cigarette like that and finish a quick conversation with you. I've said it many times. The Bible doesn't even say that smoking's wrong. That, that's between you and God. I don't know. My dad smokes, and I've never tried to take it up with him that he needs to quit smoking. That's between him and God. Now, the doctors are telling him he needs to quit smoking, and that may be well enough reason. But the Bible does not say smoking's wrong. I'm not going to take up that issue with you. You don't have to hide it from me. If you walk in this building and say a few curse words, don't say I don't want to cuss in church. That doesn't matter if you cuss around me or curse in church or curse on the golf course or curse at work. That's between you and God. Now, the Bible does say you need to guard your mouth, and the Bible does say that the words are coming off of your heart, and so that's demonstrating a foul heart. But that's between you and God. You can cuss all you want to around me. I'd rather you not around the kids. Jesus' company is sinful. Jesus has heard the dirty jokes. Jesus has seen people act in a way that is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. You know why he's there? Because he wants them to go to heaven. He wants them to know what God is like. He wants them to know that the calling's unconditional. He's not over here saying, well, Matthew, I really would like to have dinner with you. And, and, and I'm ready for you to follow me, and I'm, I've called you. I think I'm going to make you one of the 12, but I, I can't come to your house. You need to come over to my house. And if you do, make sure you... Make sure you cover up those arms and make sure you get it together. Shave your face or something. Take a bath today. But, but, but come on over and we'll have dinner at my house. Man, I'm going to get you ready to be a Christian. He doesn't say anything like that. Matthew, you're going to follow me. Let's go to your house, buddy. And he's not worried about whatever he might find there. You're not going to mess Jesus up. I loved making this point to the college Bible study this past Wednesday night about their identity. When your identity is in Christ, you're not worried about anybody else messing up your image. They can't mess up your image. You get your eyes on Jesus and follow him, and nobody's going to be able to throw you under the table. There's nothing to throw under the table. If they say you're a sinner, say, yes, I am. That's why I need Jesus. If your identity is in Christ, nobody can mess up your identity. You can. 
You start living for the world and living for your sins. But you get your eyes on Jesus, confess your sins, repent of your sins. Be somebody who's willing to say, I need forgiveness, and there's nothing else they can say about you. Be honest. There's no criticism for somebody who says, I'm a sinner, but he's forgiven me. Nothing you can say. You can't be judgmental towards that person. You can be judgmental to a person who tries to hide their sins. But Jesus is here all about sinners. They ask why. Why does he hang out with them? And they've already forgotten verse 5 and verse 10 because he's a savior of sinners. Duh. They don't get it though. But I want to point out something here that that you and I have got to hear. This is the most important part right here. Kids on listening pages, listen to this. I started trying to get on all the other churches. But I want to get on us too because this is how we all are. Our first thought when we read a passage like this, Jesus hangs out with sinners, is our mind goes to, okay, I should hang out with sinners then. Okay, I've got to find a way to hang out with sinners. No, wrong. Our first thought, folks, is that we're the sinners he's hanging out with. Our first thought, guys, is that we're the sinners he's not afraid of. We're the sinners. It it, it scares me and it bothers me that I read this passage and my first thought is, that's right, I I should. I should should hang out with sinners more. I shouldn't be bothered by them. I should be okay with hanging out with a a sinful person who doesn't know God. It bothers me and if I'm thinking that way, I'm going to imagine that you're thinking that way too, right? You heard me preaching on this, you started thinking, yeah, I do need to hang out with sinners. I need to be okay that I hang out with sinful people who don't know God. Our first thought goes there. Listen, church, that's not it. We're not a humble, broken people in need of God if our first thought is how I can be Jesus to somebody. Our first thought is how Jesus can be Jesus to me. Our first thought is I need Jesus. Our first thought is he has come to my house. Our first thought is I need him to. I need to repent of my sins. I need to fall down before God Almighty in his rich mercy and say, God, will you forgive me of my sins? I've doubted your word. I've lived for myself. I've disobeyed over and over again. I have not seen myself as the one who needs this great Savior, Jesus. And then after we understand that, then God moves our heart to saying, I want to love people. I want to love people. Jesus' company is sinful, and I'm thankful because I'm sinful. Jesus' company is sinners, and I'm thankful because I'm a sinner. If you know yourself to be a sinner against God, now, if you won't even admit that, then you're missing the whole point, and the third point's for you. But if you know that you're a sinner, be thankful that Jesus loves He's okay to come over to the house and recline at the table and hang out with you and all your buddies. Number three, Jesus' concern is for the sick and sinful. Just like in the last passage, they ask a question. They didn't ask it to Jesus. Verse 16 says that they asked them, the disciples, why? But verse 17 says when Jesus heard it. Jesus is God, y'all. He hears every single little thing. When you got the bedroom door locked and you're sneaking on the phone talking to your little boyfriend or girlfriend, Jesus hears it. Mom and dad don't, but Jesus hears it. 
when I was in high school, I had to use the kitchen telephone that had one of them little cords that was about 30 feet long, and I had to wrap it around the counter and slide it underneath the door and do the door. And I had to, like, extend that thing as far as it would possibly go. Now we got cell phones, and we can just sneak and hide, and nobody knows about it. And, and, and kids, we all know the tricks. You got the text, and then you just delete the text. We know that. We can't find them. You're smart enough. But you know what? You can hide it all. You can delete it. You can reset it. You can do a, a hard reset on your phone. Nobody's going to find your drama. Nobody's going to find your stuff. Nobody's going to find your, I hear all about the nudes now. Nobody's going to find the nudes, all that. But you know what? Jesus sees it. He hears it. He knows about it through and through. You're cheating on your wife. Nobody knows. Jesus sees it. Jesus sees it. You're neglecting your kids, but you keep acting like you're not neglecting your kids. You're just busy. You've got a lot going on. Jesus sees it. We got, a, we got a dad on our t-ball team who comes and drops his kids off at t-ball, and then he goes to play his own softball games. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. But the Bible says Jesus heard their question. They weren't talking to Jesus, but Jesus heard it. He, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And Jesus says here the great statement that you need to know. It's, it's like the light bulb turned on moment to those people, and it's like a duh moment for us. He came to help. He came to fix. He came to heal. He came to redeem. He came looking for people who were needy, and he found them. To think that he came for the good people is baloney. Now, his concern is for the sick and the sinful. Now, while this passage is a, while this verse, verse 17, is a great clarifying moment, it's also a little bit humorous. Because as our, as our psalm that we opened up with today, Psalm 143, as Psalm 143 said, there is no one righteous. And so when he tells the Pharisees, oh, oh I didn't come for the righteous. You could almost picture them going, okay, whew. he didn't come for us. But we, we've got it together, so we're all right. He came for those guys. We're, we're good guys. And it's almost humorous. But Jesus makes no bones about it throughout all the Gospels, that if that's your attitude, he's happy to move right on to the least of these. He's happy to go to those who need him. As Luke points out in chapter 5, verse 32, I didn't come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repent. I'm not looking for sacrifice. I'm looking for mercy. Jesus is looking for the people who say, Father, will you forgive me of my sins? What this passage is about is the great need of Jesus. The great need of Jesus. J.C. Ryle says, diet tables and rules of living are all very well for the convalescent, but not suitable to the men laboring under a mortal disease. A teacher and an example might be sufficient for an unfallen being like Adam in the Garden of Eden, but fallen sinners like ourselves, we want healing first before we can value the rules. Can we be honest about that? As you're trying to talk rules with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, it is not helping. It is not helping. When you try to get an ungodly person to do this, do this, do this more, it is not helping. It doesn't work that way. They need to know their great need for a Savior for forgiveness. And Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sick. I didn't come for the good. I came for the bad. I came for the sinners. In short, y'all, we need a Savior. We need forgiveness. We need Jesus. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Everybody knows that verse. The very next verse, verse 17, says this. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't. Jesus didn't come to crush the world. But he came in order that the world might be saved through him. He came to put sinners on notice that he loves them. He's not pushed away by them. Now, they may be pushed away by him because he is holy, he is God, he is the judge. And one day we're all going to face him. But if they'll, if they'll hear the invitation, if they'll hear the calling, he's glad to be there. Jesus, his calling is unconditional, his company is sinful, and his concern is for the sick and the sinful. Now recently, I've had a couple of these. I had another one happen this week. Somebody that I've never met before is in a bad situation. Somebody that knows them calls me. Today I sat in the front yard with a, uh, this week I sat in the front yard on a swing in the front yard with a man who has just found out that he's got terminal cancer. They've given him a year to live at most. He and his wife are getting everything together, getting the money together and the insurance together and getting the house together. They're getting ready for him to die. You know what? He's now thinking, I need to get my heart right too. And you know what I love about hearing that? Because Jesus tells us, I came for people like you. I came for the sick and the sinful, and I can help. You know what we can say to somebody who will die of cancer this year? If you know Jesus, you will live with God forever. You will live with God forever. We sat there on that porch. I told him all about Jesus. I told him about forgiveness. I told him about what it means to have eternal life in heaven. We talked all about it. The passage today shows us that's who Jesus is. You may not be dying from cancer and therefore know how much life you've got left, but I promise you this, you're dying from sin and you don't know how much time you've got left. You are dying from sin and you don't know how much time you have left, but I have great news. Jesus Christ himself says, I didn't, come from those, I didn't come for those who don't sin. I came for the sinners to call them to repentance. May you repent of your sins and trust in Christ for life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for good passages that help us see Jesus better. Jesus is truly unbelievable, remarkable. He's awesome. And we have messed up religion if we want to not be with God because we don't understand Jesus. God, thank you for him, and thank you for the great Savior that he is. Lord, lead us now to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.